1: now listening to Bigfoot and Beyond, featuring the Lennon and McCartney of Bigfoot, the other arguably Harrison and Star, Cliff and Bobo.
0: So let me ask you, Cliff, since I have you on here, I mean, um, I'm always curious about You know, what they could be, you know, of course, it could be something that they're not. And I I would love it if it was something like Gigantopithecus or if it was Paranthropus or something like that. And so I usually lean toward those type of things right there. Is there something that you're leaning toward now?
1: Yeah, I'm leaning towards Paranthropus, Uh, just just like the robust Australopithecine. Um, mm-hmm. gigant, Giganto is an excellent candidate, but we just know so little about it. I just kind of don't even put it on the table at this point. It's like until we have some post-cranial stuff, like you know, if we can find out if it walked bipedally or what its stature was or anything. Uh, yeah, the stature even could be like uh, distorted because of the size of the jaw. Who knows? Who knows? But we do know Australopithecines existed. We do know Paranthropus existed just further back. And essentially Paranthropus is just a five-foot-tall Bigfoot. So if they radiated out of Africa, got big over the last million or so years, I think that's, that's basically what Sasquatches were, are, you know,
0: I think that's one of the things that a lot of times people forget too. you know, the, whatever it is, when it came largely through the Bering land bridge, you know, it's 10 to 20,000 years ago. And, you know, when you ask someone, well, how long does it take to form a fossil, you know, the general rule of thumb is around 10,000 years. And, you know, there may not even be fossils here. And of course, you know, when you look at it like that, the areas with the most sightings, Washington, Oregon, um, British Columbia, places like that up there in Northern California. I mean, that's closest to the land bridge. And, um, you know, then of course they would have dispersed across the United States following game and mating type rituals or whatever would happen to be or whatever. But, um, you know, and of course that area that they would be most common in isn't really conducive to having fossils either.
1: Yeah, well, you know, fossil fossilization is a very rare process. That uh, most often does not happen, and the, maybe the species was never very populous. You know, and it, like the the numbers were always so small, it'd be very unlikely that any of them fossilized. It's possible. You know, remember, if I if I have my numbers right, I believe we found the first chimpanzee fossil in 2006. Or right yep. in there. Yeah. So uh, as a as a standard, fossils just may not be out there, or if they are. Maybe they're just fragmentary or something like that. It's if I remember that.
0: right, I think it, it's only like 20-something percent of all the animals we we even have, that we know exist, we have fossil evidence of.
1: Yeah, it's a that, very that, small number. Yeah, that might be true. I don't know the numbers, but that sounds about right. Huh. Well, there you go. So that's what I think they are. Gigano, sure, that's still on the table, whatever that ends up being. But um, we just don't know that much about it yet. So,
2: Hey, Russ, I was going to say, have you noticed... Any pattern
0: to the amount of knocks, like two or four or one? You know, I know people believe certain things, but I have not myself heard a pattern. I mean, most commonly I just hear a knock. And, um, you know, it's funny because people that aren't in the woods a lot think, I think, you know, that you can hear these noises and maybe it's something else or maybe what it is, you know, because really we don't even know that what a knock is, right? I mean, it could be a mouth pop or it could be a hand clap or it can be something in a tree, but you know, it's kind of hard to imagine something running around the woods with a stick all the time. And, sure. um, you know, I'm not sure that I've ever noticed anything like that, you know, where there's a strict pattern on it. I mean, sometimes people come up with all these things that I hear or you see on the internet. And unfortunately it just hasn't always been my
1: experience. Do you keep data like that? Like, did do you uh, go ahead and write down two docs on this state or whatever and like keep them some sort of log or anything?
0: Yeah. Everything that I, I do, like I would say a typical day in the woods that you're out in the woods for three or four hours or whatever, just cruising through, um, you know, because when I go into an area, if there's trails there, I'll walk all the trails and then I walk all the creeks. I mean, I have spent thousands of hours walking creeks after floods in remote areas where there's no trail, just hoping for tracks. Mm-hmm. And, um, then I'll walk all the ridges until I've covered all of that in each territory. And then I'm as I'm doing it, I'm leaving cameras out. And then, you know, eventually I'm rolling through that particular area. And then once I've been in there over a year, like in this one area in Sileski, which is Ohio's most remote forest, probably that or Shawnee. I mean, I grew up coon hunting there and spending and trapping, spending all kinds of times in that woods. And I'm, I'm telling you, I had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours in there and never heard a thing until finally i heard a wood knock and then you know once i heard that wood knock and then i went back in that general area a couple of weeks later and then i heard another one you know and it kind of gave me an idea on kind of where to go but you know going back to that wood knock thing when i talked to that um ecologist from the us forest service is interesting this is a different place but i was on this dead end road and of course you know they're hardly wide enough you know in a park to two cars to pass so um, i kind of got over Well, I see it's this us forest service truck. And so he stops and we're just talking and I asked him what they were doing. And he was telling me that Ohio state was doing a study on, um, they had found two rattlesnake dens and, um, and we were talking about it. And then, you know, he asked what I did for a living. I said, I'm a chiropractor. And he said, are you that chiropractor that does the Bigfoot stuff? And I said, yeah, that's me.
1: <laughs> and he put
0: his car in the park and he said, let me tell you. And he said, you know, I've been here in this park for 17 years. And he said, seven times, I've heard those wood knocks. And he said, you know, I'm a woodsman, I'm a biologist. And he said, you know, I've known when I heard those knocks, that those were not native or natural to the woods, at at least in terms of what we believe to be native or natural. Did he point
1: you in a a good direction after that, like a spot that you were unaware of? He
0: did, you know, uh, and, and the reason why him and I bumped into each other is because, you know, I went into this park when you go in there, you know, you might say, Hey, I'm Russ Jones. You know, I'm a doctor. I'm, you know, I have a biology degree and I'm a doctor too and I'm a master naturalist. And, you know, so I like to put game cameras up and I wanted to let you know that. And, you know, and honestly, probably at first, I'm not mentioning the Bigfoot thing and I get the park rangers email and I start sending them game cam pictures of cool stuff, big bucks, cool Bobcat pictures, just different things that are cool. And then stopping each time at the, I'm at that particular park or every now and then just to establish a relationship with them and then over the course of time, you know, I'm able to bring up the Bigfoot thing or they inevitably find out who you are. And then of course I'll take them a copy of my book or whatever them look at, and then I'll bring a map of the park in and I'll say, you know, if you were gonna go in your park to a place where it was the most remote area, hard to get to, inaccessible, and if you were gonna go there and, you know, not want somebody to find you. Where would you go out in this park? And they all have an answer. And almost invariably for years when I was spreading myself too thin and I had visited almost all the national parks in this area and all the state parks, that would be my very first thing. I would walk into the park ranger and say, I'm a master naturalist, I enjoy remote hiking. Where's the most remote place in your park? And they all have an answer and they'll all point you in that direction. And that's how I ended up on that road and had heard those wood knocks in that particular area. And now that I met that ecologist, you know, now I have his number, I'd send him an email every now and then and check in. And then now I'm asking him, well, do you remember the time of year you heard the knocks? Where was it when you heard that at, you know, if you were going to go someplace, where would you go? And, um, you know, because these people are living in these areas or working in these areas and, um, you know, I'm out there, you know, once or twice a week in a particular area and, um, you know, I probably have a better knowledge of, you know, I'll try to tell them, um, this particular hollow here, you have three people deer hunting here. You know, I put one on a road one time because all the deer hunters, they said, there's a lot of deer hunters here. And I said, yeah, there's a lot of deer hunters, but they only killed one buck and they killed one doe and it was an eight and wasn't that big. And <laughs> so you, you're kind of educating them and letting them know about what's going on. Con, con, uh, probably. Four or five times a year, I will find pot in the state parks or the national forest. And then, you know, I just, you know, I'll tell them where it is or whatever, you know, and they appreciate the knowledge of you passing on information, you know, about their park or whatever you find that's going on there.
1: Right. Yeah. You can be useful to them. Uh, since yeah. They- oftentimes they're at at a desk or in their car moving from spot to spot or whatever they're doing a lot of people's jobs don't take them out there but they would still like to know because they care about the area and whatnot yeah
0: you know and and i care about that area too a lot of times you know some of the rangers you know i'm talking to them about timbering because you know they uh you know a certain percentage of the timber they're doing in certain areas and i'm trying to um you know i'm concerned that maybe they're timbering too much in a particular area and i'm wanting to talk to them about it you know not that I mean, I'm all for timbering, but you know, I don't want to see everything uh, clear cut all the time. You know, I like, I think it's good for us to have a healthy balance. And, you know, I think that Bigfoot thrives in a forest that's well-developed and well maintained. Um, just like the rest of the games do game animals do. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, but you know, I don't want to have to walk through six miles of a clear cut cause that's all there is or whatever. And uh, it's a challenge, but you know, I've been doing it since I was a kid and, you know, my very first time, I was 13 years old and uh, running rabbit dogs. And my family was well-known for our rabbit dogs and our coon hounds. And I took a guy who was in the Army out on New Year's Day. And it was a beautiful, sunny day, but it was really cold. On New Year's Eve, we'd gotten four inches of snow the night before. And I came around this place, and there was a cave that was up on this hillside. I mean, you really would never guess there was a cave up there. And when I came around that hillside, I found fresh Barefoot, human looking footprints in the snow. I'd never heard of Bigfoot. I didn't know anything about it, and I couldn't imagine where it was that there would be somebody there. I thought it was a vagrant had found that cave, and I went up and looked inside because I expected to find a you know a fire or some clothes or something. but you know of course, there was just nothing there. and it wasn't a huge track. It was about maybe like a an adult male size, but I was certain that that whatever was there and made those tracks it heard me come around that hillside with my dogs and had left. And it was a crystal clear path to follow. And the guy and I talked about actually following them, but, you know, we just didn't really think anything of it. We didn't know what it was. We didn't think, you know, we just kind of went on hunting. And, uh, later that year there was a remote beaver dam. that was just a couple of miles from there that no one knew about, but my family from us finding it coon hunting, there wasn't a trail or a path to it. And. I was back there with an uncle and we were fishing and we were wearing pistols. It was really snaky and we were standing on a part of the dam that was maybe 50 feet wide there. And it was really thick and brushy on the other side. And we weren't talking or anything. We were just quietly standing there fishing and, you know, him and I really weren't close enough that we could like, um, you know, have a normal conversation, but I heard something walking down that bank and I looked at my uncle and I saw him looking too. And, Then there started very loud monkey-like screams, kind of a and just shaking of the brush that was there. And it went on for about 10 seconds and stopped. And I looked at him. I said, what do you think that is? And he said, just look for a tree you can get to. It's got to come across water. Well, then it did it a couple more times shaking that tree like that. And then I always tell everybody, you know what we did after that? We kept fishing. Because, you know, we'd been in the woods our whole life. We were woodsmen, and we weren't afraid of anything in the woods. And we were raised that there's nothing in the woods that's not more afraid of you than you are of it. You know, but later that year, I saw the Leonard Nimoy show in search of, and he had uh, in search of Bigfoot on there. And I knew, and it made me suspicious. And then in those years before I went to undergraduate, I'd found tracks twice and so I'd always had been interested in, I'd always followed it. I'd read all the books. I'd saw everything that was out there. And um, you know, in my whole life, it it had really shaped my time in the woods and what I do and what I do now. I mean, largely the land that I own, the farm that I own is in an area with Bigfoot sightings. Um, the time I take off, it revolves around Bigfoot and spending time in the woods. And, you know, I'm committed to trying to get an answer to try to come up with, with something and, you know, I'm passionate about it.
1: Well, yeah, that's obvious and committed to it. Um, not a lot of people, uh, can do that, you know, and you've set your life up in a way that that is what you do. And it's rad. Congratulations on that.
0: Well, it's interesting because, uh, I remember when we were doing one of the episodes, Bobo asked me, he said, Russ, he said, I got to know, what are your patients think about you chasing Bigfoot all the time? Did you remember that Bobo? Yeah. And, uh, and I thought it was funny and it, you know, and we sell my book at the office, of course, and I think that it doesn't take very long for patients when they're with me, you know, to realize that I'm normal <laughs> and, uh, and that, you know, it's just an interesting hobby. And I found that most people are pretty open-minded about it. And, you know, I think nationally they say it's like 30% or something of people believe that, you know, there might be a Bigfoot, but you know, when you're in the Pacific Northwest or when you're in Appalachia. That number is very, very high and you can hardly ask a hunter in West Virginia or Ohio or Kentucky or Tennessee. You know, have you ever had a weird experience? Have you ever been in the woods and felt like something was watching you or anything like that? Almost invariably somebody has stories, you know? So I think it's much more common here.
1: Um, I was thinking uh, you mentioned that you bought a farm where there had been Bigfoot sightings oh. before. Have you had anything unusual happening around the Ohio homestead?
0: You know what I've been doing, and it's actually it's fifteen minutes from Ohio's most remote park, which of course, is convenient for me. And so I spend a lot of time in that park, but you know I'm leery that um, they hear my game cameras. So what I have done at my farm is I have game cameras out for like the deer that I'm interested in hunting later in the year, but they're largely around the farm fields and when I get over around the park because I border the park for three quarters of a mile. And so I put no game cameras along that side of the farm and in the area overlooking my house. And what I've done is, um, you know, there's a history of them being interested in sweet mix, which is, you know, it's oats, essentially grains that you feed horse and cows that have some molasses in it. And, um, so I've have some one gallon containers. I've put sweet mix in. I seal them and I've put them in locations. I had one disappear in the fall. You know, so keep in mind, you know, I live on a dead end road up there. I'm the last house for a half mile. It's on my property. So no one's allowed there. There's, um, security cameras all around the front of my farm. So if there's anybody that came in on road, of course I would know that. And then the park has bridle trails and hiking trails, and it's not really used very heavily, but for people to walk at the park, it's about an hour and a half walk for them to just get back to, um, my farm. And of course, you know, then it's all posted too. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I had one of those disappear and I immediately replaced it with some peanut butter and I haven't had anything happen, you know, with the peanut butter yet. But, um, you know, I think that that's an area that it's not that large. There's a couple thousand acre lake, um, or a couple of thousand acres that are there. And the lake is maybe like 500 something acres. I don't recall exactly. And it's very thick and brush and loaded with deer. And of course, there's orchards and farm fields all the way around it. So, you know, my suspicion is that they would maybe be there in the summer some, and there's been a sighting by a boater of a juvenile, uh, wow. there. And, uh, and then this fall, my father had told me that he had heard a wood knock. That was the first one he ever heard. And, uh, mm-hmm. when he was deer hunting in there. So, um, you know, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, that I can be a habituator eventually. Um, unfortunately, you know, just like, you know, you had to be at the shop and, Bobo has all his things that he's doing, you know, our jobs get in the way of doing this full time. And, um, Mm -hmm. this is, this fall will be my 30th year in practice. And so each year I'm spending more and more time in the woods and I'm hoping that in the next four or five years that, you know, I'll be
1: largely doing that all the time. Nice. Just as you slowly retire. Yeah. As I retire, just, uh, kind of wind things down on the work front. Yeah, you know, food. I'm
0: just, I've always been in the woods and that's what I'm just interested in, um, in being there all the time. And like I said, you know, it's interesting how things come and go in your life and you're interested in different things and you have different hobbies, but you know, it's been a passion for me. And I, uh, I spend a lot of time just looking at Google Earth and on maps and on my notes, just trying to figure out where I'm going to go. And each time that I hike, most of the time, it's not um, just on a whim that I'm visiting a certain place, you know, I'm usually in a certain area for a particular reason. And, um, you know, I'm not sure that there's not a danger sometime, you know, we get locked in our habits or our beliefs. And, you know, I think that's why it's important. We have, you know, good friends like you guys or Matt Pruitt that we can call and say, Hey, what do you think about this? Or, you know, you've had any experience with that or whatever. And sometimes, you know, it, it changes the shape of how you think about things or, it maybe forces you to reevaluate some of the stereotypes that you've developed in your own mind.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think just a few episodes ago, I was uh, ranting about how it's important to hang out with people who don't think the same thing you do. Like, yeah. Uh, hang out with challenging individuals and see how you deal with them and uh, and 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 what do you think of the way they think. Cause you can learn a lot about yourself and uh, from other people about subjects you're interested, like Sasquatches just by uh, hanging out and listening and and considering some things.
0: Yeah. I'm trying to be more open-minded about it's interesting. The, the woo thing in the last five years, you know, has exploded. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I'm trying to be, um, open-minded about some of that, or at least taking that in consideration when, you know, you do your hikes or whatever it happens to be. But I mean, I just personally haven't had any experiences that I couldn't explain through natural means.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, I just did a gig with Tom Powell this past weekend for a benefit thing. What a great guy. Yeah. Super great guy. Um, and I don't agree with him at all about what Bigfoots are, Uh, but I love hanging out with the guy and listening to his perspective on it and how he arrived at that, uh, perspective. Um, for myself, it's gotta be either experiential for myself, which, you know, is valuable to me, whereas other people's experiences aren't quite as valuable, you know, as far as like forming my own worldview and also, uh, evidence data essentially, mm-hmm. uh, in order to think something and who kind of fails on one or both of those mostly right. in my opinion, in my opinion. So,
0: well, you know, it's just like people spend, Less and less time in the woods. I mean, people are afraid of snakes. They're afraid of getting lost. They're afraid of bears. They're afraid of whatever else is out there. And I think that people discount how rare these things are, and that they go in the woods and they feel like that they should have some type of experience. Or if they're out there for a week and they don't have an experience, then it's easy to start to believe that there's something unusual or extra or paranormal about. Um, a big foot when reality that, you know, I tell people here in West Virginia, you know, that my estimate is that, you know, there's 150 to 225 of them around And people are always surprised. Cause I think they feel like that's a big number. And, but, you know, then you say, well, you know, there's 17,000 bears. I mean, you ever see a bear, you ever found a dead bear, that whole thing. And, you know, they all that all of us make the argument of course on, but I mean, I think that it's, you know, you start looking at it like that, there's 55 counties, roughly a family group in a County. And you start, you say, you know, you name a county, and it's, you know, 500 square miles or something, and, you know, say, you know, lose your dog in that area, it's hard to find. And you know, mm-hmm. when you start thinking in those terms, I think the reality is is that most people aren't interested in Bigfoot like we are. You know, they're living their lives, they're busy, they have a job, they have a wife, they have kids, they have all this stuff going on the sports and everything else that they're interested in. And while they may have a casual or passing interest in Bigfoot, it's not enough that consumes them to really process, you know, all these things that, um, you know, that there may be a few hundred of us across the nation or something that are, that are spending so much time messing with it all the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by and large, people love the subject. They love the idea that there's an animal, um, behind it all, but you know, very few people have the time for it or the level of commitment or the, even the interest. So, you know, maybe it's just a romantic notion, man. I mean, what a cool thing to think that humans haven't
0: discovered in everything. You know, there's still something left out there for us to discover.
1: Well, yeah. Adve- adventure. And you know, uh, what is it? I think I like that Bob Powell, um, uh, Bob Pyle, my mistake, Bob Pyle. Dr. Robert Pyle, who yes. wrote uh, Beyond the Dark Divide. Um, he said, if there ever comes a time, I'm paraphrasing his quote, if, if there ever comes a time where we can't envision giants living in the woods and we've indeed lost something important.
0: What was his first book, like Where Bigfoot Roams or something
1: like that? Or Yeah, you know, um, Where Bigfoot, uh, I think it's walks. Where Bigfoot Walks, Crossing the or Dark Bigfoot Divide. Where Bigfoot Walks, okay. Yeah, if, yeah, if that's not it, it's real close to that. Um great book. It kind of yeah, a, a neat perspective stuff. on it. He got a grant to write that from like the Gutenheim or something like that, uh foundation. Um it, it's not a, it's not the Bigfoot book a lot of people think it should be coming from a, a doctor, so to speak, but it, mm-hmm. um but he's a naturalist and he writes from a naturalist perspective and it's so engrossing his storytelling and his he's a wordsmith, he's and uh he's just fantastic. What a neat guy.
0: Oh man, the book was so beautiful and how it was written, you know, and then you read yours and you compare it to someone like that. And it was like, you know, my book was the cliff notes and, you know, he wrote the beautiful flowery narrative.
2: Hey, uh, yeah. You know, Russ, you sent us out to that spot that night, that ice storm. Yeah. That was awesome. You, You put us in the great spot because that was one of the more frustrating ones that we left. Um, it was at the end of the night and we were coming back down. We'd hiked pretty far and it was, God, I don't remember. It was like 10 degrees out or something or five degrees out with cold wind and trudging through the snow and came in and we were coming back down out of this one holler. I got the rad four super fast, super solid, loud knocks just within 200 yards of me. Bam, 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 bam. Just like a, like that, like that. Bam, 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 bam. Yeah, the oh my
0: God, they're here.
2: Yeah. Oh, and I, <laughs> there was so much snow, like I had to have left a trail, but we, we went down there. We, the, everyone wanted to leave. And, and I thought, well, we'll just go back to one that we never got to go back there. What was that place like, Yellowhead or something?
0: Yellowtop? Yeah. Uh, yeah. There is, uh, what it is, is there's some kind of uh, mountain bike trails up on top of the mountain. <laughs> of course, you know, everybody always thinks of the gorge and you get that bridge, which is like the largest single arch bridge in the Western hemisphere or something like that. And they see the divers dive off it on bridge day or not the uh, skydivers. And then, uh, you know, they, they did the commercial. I think it was like a Florida Chevy truck where they drop it off the bridge, but, you know, everybody sees that one spot, but that, you know, that gorge is 51 miles long. I mean, for instance, like 20 years ago, somebody parked on that bridge, committed suicide, went out there, jumped off. Well they found his body last year and it was literally right below the bridge and they knew where he jumped. But mm-hmm. it's just so rugged in there that you know it's just hard to get to these places that are in there and you're crawling around and it's snaky, and I mean it's uh it's a wonderful place.
1: <laughs> you <laughs> yeah, know, West and then
0: there's like West Virginia's cliffs. rad. Yeah, you <laughs> and these cliffs run for miles, and they're breathtakingly beautiful, you know, because you know, the Appalachian, of course, you know what, one of the, the oldest mountain ranges in the world. And, you know, they were higher than, you know, Mount Everest at one point. And, you know, that eroded all the way down. And it's one of the only rivers that's running from the south to the north. And, you know, you get in there and there's only a way to the top of the mountain, maybe every mile, there'll be one little place that you can creep. And it takes maybe two hours just to walk up the one side and there's no trail. And, mm-hmm. You know, so if you can just find those places, you know, and get a camera on there, but it's, yeah, you know, it's just hard to do everything. You know, and that's what I talk to a lot of my friends. I mean, that are really interested in Bigfoot. I mean, in the course of a year, you know, how much time are you really spending in the woods? Um, you know, Pennsylvania did that study where they put that, um, GPS signal on the hunters and they found that, you know, less than 1% of them ever went farther than a quarter mile from the nearest road or trail. And you know that's what I ask a lot of people when I'm talking about it. When's the last time you've walked farther than a quarter mile from a nearest road or trail? You know, there's a lot of people that are never off.
2: Oh no, yeah, it's so true. Yeah, people and all the good
0: stuff I've found squatching has all been off trail. Yeah, it's. uh, I think that's. You know, we need to spend more time off the trail. You know, I mean, use the trail to get somebody to place remote, but you know, have a reason why we're going where we're going. And, um, you know, if it's in the winter, then, you know, concentrate on the south facing hillsides that, you know, maybe have some rock or something up high or something where something can be up on things, you know, and then cruise along the tops and see if there's rock piles or, you know, different things. I, you know, I think that they do that stuff. I mean, all the higher pride mates do it. They break sticks. they, all this stuff, I mean, like Joe Bealard talked about, you know, the, um, tree breaks and all that stuff. He said, you know, he calls it tree litter. And he said, one in a million means something. And, you know, and you see that on the internet every day, it's just crazy. Now, all these people, I mean, they're going at the evidence backwards, you know, they're just going and looking for these things and they don't have any type of other thing associated with it. They just have, you know, these trees that are laying down and I'm like, well, do you know what kind of tree it is? I mean, what kind of pests attack that tree to what height do this pest bother it? How old is that tree? I mean, do you notice that most of them are in pine forest where they have shallow roots anyways, and they're known to fall in all different directions? I mean, um, you know, we have our research being done by, you know, just people that aren't professionals or aren't scientists and we have to hold our standard a little higher. I think that they are scientists that are interested in it, but because there's some of this wacky stuff out there and the evidence, I mean, you know, some of the footprints that you see that are on the internet or that are casted, or I mean, Cliff, you see them all the time. I'm sure a lot more than me. I mean, they're just, you know, there's a compelling story that goes with it, but you know, our standard, I think needs to be held a little higher.
1: It seems that people are wanting to believe something and finding things to support that belief, which I I guess is science, but, but the stuff isn't, there's no reason to think it's Bigfoot related a lot of times. So that kind of irks me. Um, cause, because the, the explanation of, um, what else could have done it isn't compelling.
0: How often, how often do you find scat, Russ? Do you attribute to a Sasquatch? I've only found it one time, man. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I read a lot about it and I read, you know, I tried to, there's different subjects that, you know, I'll do research on in terms of the nest or scat or footprints or whatever it is. Just, I'm trying to educate myself when I'm looking for a specific thing and I just don't see it very much, man. I mean, um, like I said, I, I know they have to obviously leave it and, uh, they're a biological creature, but, um, you know, I just don't, I don't see it very much. I, and honestly, I'm, what I found is I find tracks about three times a year and, you know, I'm hearing wood knocks or, you know, some type of noise or whatever, you know, keep in mind, of course, this is a day, you know, you at night a lot of times you'll hear things, but, You know, during the day, you know, I'm hearing things, I would say around that uh, 200 hour mark is reasonable. So about every
1: six weeks or so, I'll have something happen to me in the woods. Um, You know, uh, to to the ends of them pooping, um, I only know of two reports that they've been observed like pooping in the woods. Uh, One was by Glenn Thomas, and that thing was pooping in a river, which mm -hmm. I find interesting. And the other one, Meldrum, told me about talking to a native gentleman from Washington who was tracking one. I think he might've been a sheriff. If mm-hmm. I remember correctly. And he saw it take a, take a dump and then cover it like a cat does. Huh? And then keep moving. So those are the only was- two visual observations. And both of them are intriguing. I don't know which one happens more or, or anything like that, but I think both those possibilities are out there. Cause you just don't find a lot of scat. And most of the stuff that I've seen could easily be that of a bear.
0: Weren't the two Glenn Thomas ones, uh, females, if I'm remembering right, that he saw that were in that, uh, that were using a bathroom in that creek? Or am I not remembering right? I don't remember we're that. female for sure. Uh, okay. That's what I was thinking that they were. Um, you know, but in that one report I was telling you about in Gallia County, Ohio, that's just up now on the BFRO.net uh, latest reports, he had found uh, some there you know it's interesting a lot of times you hear that it's like around a waterway sometimes even where you would think that they would kind of be drinking or something but um you know but i always tell people you know think pop cam you know when you're thinking um that i think that that gentleman said something about the size of his wrist or something when he was making that but i i mean i just don't find uh i haven't found that that much i mean like i said you know if you find footprints you find uh, you know, you hear the noises or whatever it happens to be. And, um, you know, I've heard the samurai, I heard the samurai chatter last year, earlier this year, a month ago, when I was oh, in that area where was it extended or just fat. a short little, a short little thing or like a long one? <clears throat> you know, I went back in this hollow and there was uh, I was following, there was a beaver dam there. And if I can find a remote beaver dam, I'm always interested in it. There was one there and I was looking around it and, When I went up this hollow, of course, I'm off trail, and there had been a uh, clear cut about 20 years previously on both sides, the hills on both sides of me as I'm walking up this hollow where I'm seeing a lot of deer sign. And I get to about the first break in the hollow, which is maybe a mile up, and I see some pine trees on the left. And, you know, pine trees are about, you know, they can be about 15 degrees warmer than the rest of the woods. So a lot of times if you can find a pine grove like that in the winter, I think things stay in there for, you know, warmth and i thought oh this is a perfect place you know and i was i was suspicious because you know i had found i saw that pine tree that pine grove but what it, what really made me suspicious was that all the deer tracks had stopped you know i'm i'm still got the um clear cuts on both sides of me and the deer are crossing but all of a sudden i get to a point and there's just no deer sign anymore and there should be you know what i mean because it's the same and so i'm looking up the pine tree and i'm like this is a good spot here so it's around the creek and i put the the, um, game camera, up. I mean, as soon as I finish, I hear a wood knock and it's farther up the hollow. As soon as I heard it shade, my dog turned and looked up there too. And I said, that's where we're going, Bob. And so, you know, I started up this hollow and I went up there around a couple hundred yards past where I'd heard the knock and there was a steep hollow that came out. And I thought if I can just get in there quickly. I can get a camera up before something could see me. And I went in there and when I was putting that camera up, there was another knock. And I mean, it was literally not, I don't know, 75 feet from me, just right at the top of that hill where I was at. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, it just, and as soon as I heard that, when I came back down, my intent was to keep walking up that hollow. I was about maybe an hour from dark then. And when I got up there, I heard that, you know, it's just like, someone's talking up there and you just can't quite understand them. And, you know, you're just going by impressions. Like I said, that one knock, you know, I thought meant, Hey, somebody's around another time I heard a knock. I thought, Oh my God, he's right here. And then, you know, when I have heard that to me, it just seemed like that, um, they were rattled, you know, like maybe you're close to a family group or maybe there's an old one. I don't know what it is. You know, I mean, I have no idea, but, I mean, that was just my impression was that, uh, you know, it was interesting and I thought, well, I'm out of here. And, you know, cause I have a long ways to get back out. And When I got back down in that main hollow, you know, I could tell by watching shade that, you know, he was smelling something that he wasn't smelling calmly. I could just tell by the way he was acting. And I thought, you know, as soon as I walked up these hollow, this hollow one crossed behind me. And, um, so, you know, that's where, I put a lot of those cameras out at that one particular time. And I was up there, you know, like I said, in that time. And when I was up there this year, the second week of January, I found, uh, you know, I took some pictures of and stuff there, you know, bears will roll a log to get the grubs and stuff. Of course, you know, Mm -hmm. as I said, in Ohio, there is very few bears. And in this area, there's rarely a sighting. And I've had cameras in this area for now, a long time, maybe going on two years. And I have yet to get a bear picture and, um, this log was moved and it was a very large log. That's maybe the size of my waist and maybe eight or 10 feet long, but it was not rolled or anything like that. You know, it had been picked up and placed about eight foot away. You could see where it was laying and where it was resting. And then you could see where it had been moved. And, um, you know, so, you know, I, you didn't see something to, it. you can't say for sure, you know, it's compelling. It's interesting. Um, you know, I don't think that a bear could do that. Um, you know, I think it would have rolled it over or whatever. It wouldn't play something. doesn't have hands.
1: Yeah. It's interesting for sure. Uh, what other, uh, evidence, um, ha- have you collected any sounds from that spot?
0: No. Um, I actually, it's interesting. There's some different recorders are out now. There's that one that's called, uh, like. SM four or something like that. And they have a recorder and it's pretty cool because what they're doing is they're using it, they have software that goes with, and it costs like 1200 bucks for the software a year. And I want to say it's through Cornell and they're placing it all over the globe. It's on all the continents now, and they're doing it for bird identification and they bring software, they bring the SD card back, play it. And it identifies every bird that's on there. If they have a bird they can't identify, then they go to that location and try to find that new bird. And (laughs) I mean, they're finding all kinds of new stuff now with those. So, um, they just came out with a mini one. It's about maybe the size of two decks, two decks of cards Lasts about four weeks. (laughs) And, um, so I've got one of those now and I just bought one, um, I think it was maybe something else from Cornell University that is doing it just for people to do studies. And there's only two or three of us in the country that are using for Bigfoot stuff right now as well. And um, you know, because my idea is that if you get into that area and you have a good idea that they're going to be in a certain area, it's easier in Ohio because you know, in West Virginia, man, it's like fishing in the ocean. There's these huge areas and with rugged terrain and in Ohio you know, still there's remote sections, you know, like Vinton County only has one stoplight still in the whole County, but, um, you know, you can break it up into sections among the park and maybe there's like 50 square miles or 60 square miles would be a big one for Ohio, really. I mean, there may be huge areas the parks are running for, you know, miles and miles and miles, but they're broken up by these small roads and it gives me a way to organize it. And so if I've heard the sounds in a certain area, a certain month, then I'll try to make sure, cause you know, I still have 29 cameras. So I'll try to make sure I'll have six, seven, eight cameras in a recorder going in one particular area. And then I'm hiking in that particular area during that particular time. And then if I don't hear something, you know, then I'll have my other stuff in another section for a whole year, trying to wean it down to figure out where something would be moving to. And of course it's just, you know, there's other people that don't have anything to do with me that are reporting sightings and, you know, things like that too. Um, you know, that help with what you're doing. And, you know, I'm trying to make sure that, you know, like one of the uh, reports that I just took, I just told you is going to be posted on the BFRO's website. I know that Moneymaker had just talked to the witness not long ago, I think this week. And, um, you know, you try to get someone to let you give their location fairly close because, you know, there's probably other people that have had sightings that maybe they'll come out and say when they had it, because, you know, I'm going to be around that preserve this year when uh, October comes because, you know, that's when that lady had her sighting. And, you know, of course, is that a guarantee that something would be there? No, but, you know, it's a better odds, I think. You know, they it's, were I there think it's
1: a, a, a remarkably good place to start is going to the same place at the same time of year as another sighting. That's a really uh, good way to start any investigation of a general location. You know, and that's about the research. You know, if you've had now maybe I've talked to several hundred
0: witnesses, and all of them, you know, that same time of the year, they're all going back there. They're all looking at that area all the time for me. And most of the time, they're still compassionate or compassionate, about. they're still passionate about, they're still interested in it. You know, you hear witnesses say the same things over and over again. You know, there's certain things that I've become when I hear with a witness that make me believe it more. For instance, like commonly, they talk about how long the hair on the forearms are, is commonly you know, the wrinkles around the eyes, you know, there's just certain things when you're listening to a witness talk and, and you'll hear these people say, you know, they think about this. Of course you guys, you guys interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people on the show, but I mean, people think about this almost every day. And it's interesting, you know, people that didn't have any interest in Bigfoot or somebody that's an outdoorsman, a hunter, you know, it just consumes them just like it did with me. And, uh, that, you know, that you just need to know, it's like, um, that place where I got yelled at when I was fishing, you know, that beaver dam's no longer there. And maybe three or four times a year, an hour or so before dark, I'm called to that place. I will go park. I will walk way back in there by myself and I will just sit down and listen. Because, you know, something happened in my life that was life-changing there. And, you know, I I need to know what it is. You know, we're being attacked by Bigfoot at all, are you, Russ? No, man, I... I mean, I'm certain just like anything else that, you know, things happen and something's probably happened in the past and, you know, especially concerning food or maybe a young one or an old one or something like that. Or, but, you know, I, I think that, uh, I mean, up until like the last year or two, I never even carried a gun all this time. So I'm in the woods and I'm really in the woods a lot all the time. You know, I just always have a stick and, you know, I just figure, you know, big guy with a stick is going to do okay. But you know, if you're in the woods all the time, you know, you just get where you're comfortable there. And, um, in the last couple of years I've started caring, and it's largely because of the humans, you know, the meth people, the people growing pot now. Um, I mean, I don't really care what they do, but I mean, I've went so far that I had a trainer come in just to train my dog because, you know, shades of lab, and man, he loves everybody. And so we would come out of a remote location and, you know, there's some people maybe sitting down there doing something, you know, I don't know what they're doing and I, I need to be able to deal with it without my dog where I'm not wanting petted.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: So, you know, I had a trainer come out. So now like, you know, I can give him hand signals, um, to stop him in the woods and he'll just stay put. And largely it's because, you know, a lot of times, not only that, but, um, you know, last year, I think eight or nine times, you know, we saw different types of snakes. I mean, a couple of big rattlesnakes, a couple of copperheads. And, um, you know, I don't want my dog getting, bet me carrying them out of the woods or whatever it happens to be, if I'm stuck in the middle of nowhere or whatever. And, and uh, so, you know, you can at least control them with those type things, but I don't, I don't think so, man. I don't, I think that um, I'm suspicious of so much, the woo thing. I mean, I don't want to discount all of that. I think that maybe a lot of it has to do with people just aren't in the woods like they used to be and are just not as good a woodsman anymore. And, you know, like I said, discounting the, the small number that. the, is in place these animals and um and i think that you know they're curious about humans but um you know yeah. i don't really think you know that they want to bug us i think in west virginia most of the time that they kind of move away from you in ohio they've been forced to there's only so many places for them to be so you know what i mean they can't necessarily just leave where they are they just kind of move around you or something right and yeah but i don't uh i mean i've gotten spooked for sure at night um i mean i think all of us you know have had something i i remember i was in uh you guys remember we went to blackwater up, uh, for one of the episodes of finding bigfoot
1: uh, blackwater
0: yeah. falls yeah. named Valley, a beautiful area of west virginia up where some of the ski resorts are and um and i was in there with uh Darren Bavarnik, and we were in there in the middle of the week. And, you know, he's a firefighter. And, you know, because of my job, we would always take off when we go to these locations when no one else is going to be there. And so, you know, we're there in the middle of the week. It's like a Tuesday and a Wednesday. And, you know, it's like a four or five mile road in. Well, there's no cars, nobody's back there. And you park and you're in the Canaan Valley Wildlife Refuge area, which is the largest um, swamp, highest elevation swamp in the United States on the East Coast. Hmm. And um, you know, there's a lot of Bigfoot sightings in there. And uh we were walked way back in there and man, um, fog started coming up and you know, we just could not see well at all. And um then, you know, something started whistling at us and uh I heard it once and Darren said, You hear something whistle? And I'm like, Yeah, I'm hearing something whistle. You know, of course, you know a lot of times when they whistle, it's not like you know, it just doesn't sound like a normal bird. And of course, you know, there's not that many birds whistling at night unless they get stirred up a little bit or whatever. But I remember I got pretty spooked in there and it was so the fog came over so heavy that we had to use our thermals to, um, you know, to get out of the woods, uh, to be able to walk out. But, um, you know, I mean, big footers are crazy. I mean, we go and I remember Cliff, you tell me before you just go in the woods and sleep on trails sometime at night. And I thought, man, that guy, you know, it takes some guts to do that. And, you know, all of us will walk way back in the middle of the woods with our friends and sit, you know, with our backs against a tree, with all the lights out in the middle of the night, and just listen, and you know, hope something's going to happen. And uh, you you realize when you lead expeditions and you take people that aren't used to doing that how unusual Bigfooters are.
1: <laughs> I suppose so. Yeah. I, um, at the museum, the, the this the 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 cross section of society that comes in i love it because everybody comes in there maybe this person you know is uh, wearing a suit maybe this person's wearing you know cut off jeans and a trump shirt it doesn't matter uh, everybody out there is 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 all bigfooters i realize we're all muppets i think we're is what it really comes down to <laughs> I, yeah i think we're all just muppets like more largely harmless really colorful weirdos That love a subject and come together and enjoy it together. I think it's fantastic. Just a variety of people. But that that. But you know what? Because you look you look at him and go, "Oh, that guy's not weird at all." But that just makes him weirder to me.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That is real. You know what? I was just saying to you about West Virginia, Russ. And for people that don't know, West Virginia, it's like, it's kind of like this little rocky mountains. It's really rugged. It's beautiful. Oh, it's, it's rad. This it's one, the best one
1: of my, I think it is my
2: favorite What Eastern state. Me too. Yeah, it's gorgeous. But you know what? That's the first place I had knowingly heard, because I had just been made aware of them, was coy wolves. Did you get them confused on your recorders sometimes? Like, would you find some odd calls that
0: turned out to be them? Yeah, you know, the deal is that the Western coyote is different than the Eastern coyote because the Eastern coyote is intermingled with the Western Western red wolf, which of course is extinct here now. And so it's a little smarter here and it's a little larger here and you know, it's like barred owls. I mean, owls really can sound funky. They always sound sometimes like a monkey, but you know, at the end of a call, you know, you always say to them, uh, an owl always gives itself away. You know, at the end of it, it will sound like an owl and, um, and man, the coyotes, sometimes it's, it's hard to tell here, you know, and another thing I think is, is interesting. That's a noise going back to the recording stuff like Monongahela, which does a lot of the reviews for the BFRO stuff or whatever. I uh, had asked him cause I was always curious about the sap popping in the woods. You know I mean? A lot of times when the sap is going up or saps going down, when the temperature's cold or whatever that don't make that pop sound. Mm-hmm. And I always wondered, you know, how they were differentiating that when they heard that. And, you know, I guess the answer is that there's not really a good way to do it. Um, you know, because I always try to take that in consideration when you're hearing the wood knocks, you know, what I mean that it's, that it could be something like that. But the reality is, I mean, the great majority of times when you hear a it, man, it's like, um, it's so apparent that it's not natural. Um, you know, you just inherently know, Uh, You know, like the first time I saw a rattlesnake when I was in the woods, I'd never seen a rattlesnake, but when I heard the rattle, you know, I instantly froze. You know, I knew, you know, my, uh, the caveman inside me, the outdoorsman knew that, uh, you know, that sixth sense that something was not right. And I think that, um, you know, I wonder how many Bigfoot sightings there would be if. Um, you know, people start down a hollow or they start up the side of a hill or along a trail or something. They think, oh gosh, this feels weird. I'm, I'm out of here. And you know, how much of that really is that, you know, we sense that something we're not cognizant any longer, just because we're not in the woods enough, um, that maybe our, um, ancestors might've been cognizant of, you know, how much of it is that. But, you know, I grew up in Ohio and I came to West Virginia because, you know, the the, the people are kind, the country's remote, you know, you can live, you can own hundreds of acres and be 10 minutes from the state capital and have bears and everything else, literally in your yard. And, um, land is still cheap. You know, you break down, you, you won't be there very long until someone will stop to help you. Um, they've, it's been a wonderful place for me to live and the people have always treated me kindly here. Um, and uh, they may tease you a little bit about Bigfoot, but they all have a story and they're all interested in it. Man, there's just so many places to go here. You know what I mean? You just, you can't get them all in. You know what I mean? Like I know every year in Southern West Virginia coal fields that there's going to be um, a sighting. Like if you guys remember the Norma Trent Bigfoot vocals if on YouTube, if you put in Norma Trent vocals or whatever, some of the best... Bigfoot vocals ever recorded during the day on a mountainside in West Virginia by a little church lady. Oh yeah, know what it was. Hey. Yeah, recorded on her iPhone, and you can hear her chickens and stuff. And she posted on her church Facebook page: "Does anybody have any idea what this is?" And um, somebody said, "That's a bigfoot," and spread it. And the lady got over a thousand friend requests in one day and freaked out. Huh. <laughs> wow, and, so yeah, so I I had a friend in that area, and of course I'm sending messages to her. I have a friend there. I can I stop and meet you, and and uh, you know I probably, I'm sure I sounded like the rest, but um, you know there's always in that general area right there. There'll always be something in the fall, but you know it's a big area. It's hard to get in there. You know I've been down there and I've heard wood knocks in the fall. You know, but I'm telling you, you just you would drive down there and you look at the side of these hills and. You see, you just wonder how the trees are standing. They're so steep that it's just unimaginable. And you look at that hillside, and it would take you hours and hours to climb that one hillside, and then it'll be miles before you come to the next road. I mean, people just are not in there at all. I mean, it's just amazing territory. That's why uh, you know, I start spending a lot of my time. I'm gonna be out tomorrow here in West Virginia, but um you know, over the weekend and the beginning next week, I'll be back in Ohio again and I'm up there every week almost to go to the farm and just, to, to spend time in the woods, but it's a lot easier in Ohio. Um, like I said, maybe it's just my analytical self that has a desire to organize it all. We're trying to get these different places at certain times or whatever. And, you know, you're just trying to get it down to, you know, to certain areas, but.
1: No, yeah, you, you vocalize or, uh, you expressed uh, frustration about living out in the Pacific Northwest. Is that where every, when everywhere, literally everywhere is good habitat, where to even start? Exactly. But in, Ohio, in Ohio and Pennsylvania and places like that. Not so much West Virginia. That's too, it's too foresty. But, uh, but a lot of those other places that have been, um, you know, farmed, I guess, it's a real culprit about land clearing back in the day. Uh, when you have a chunk of land that's five miles by eight miles, and then it's connected by all these green belts to other ones that that big or bigger. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, that's where you go. Yeah, it's almost easier to find them back there in those sort of situations. in most of Ohio and Pennsylvania, I'm hoping we get
0: an answer. But, you know, the reality is a lot of us been doing them for a long time. And I think that things are evolving and changing. You know, my next thing that I'm going to buy is, you know, I'm going to buy a drone with a thermal on it. You know, you can get them for about 6,000 bucks. Now they're nice ones with, you know, as good at imaging that you'd want to have the goodest resolution, I guess I should say.
1: Mm -hmm. That seems to be the direction this whole thing is going. Everybody's interested in the drone thing, and for good reason.
0: Well, you know, I think it's just another thing. You know, I mean, we have to, we're all trying different things, and we're all trying to get more specific. And, um, you know, and honestly, it's probably going to come down to a hunter, or it's going to come down to, you know, something on the road or something. I mean, as unfortunate as that may sound or whatever, but I guess I'm in the River Krantz thing that, you know, I don't want to have to run around and tell a bunch of people, you know, hey, I was right or whatever. But you know, I mean, it it, it would be nice to get confirmation.
1: Yeah, a- answers are cool. They're overrated, but they're cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's better. Uh, sometimes it's almost as much fun just asking a question. You
0: know, I wonder. Have you ever had those people that you say? I remember some of my friends that are re- researchers. Will say
1: that whenever they see when they're done. You know, I would, that, I don't believe it. Yeah. I've heard. I, I don't think that would be the case at all. Stokes <laughs> the fire. Yeah, uh, that's how what I people, think. Too. How many people have you heard, have you spoken to that started looking because they saw one? I think that's the direction that current flows by and large. Yeah. Yeah, seeing one will just make you mad. It didn't last longer, or he didn't get a picture, or you you know. I would personally pick apart some mistake that I made and keep on going after it. Yeah. Well, either way, I'm glad uh, we, you can join us on uh, on Skype here on on Bigfoot and Beyond, and uh, and we wanted to have you on for a while. So thanks for setting aside a little time for us.
0: Hey, not at all. It's good to talk to you guys, and uh, I'll see you later. All right, thanks, Russ. See you, my friend. Right, okay. Bye, Russ. That was cool.
2: Yeah, he's
1: he's remember, a wealth of information, huh?
2: Yeah, I remember when we were filming in West Virginia, we went out in the woods with Russ a couple of times, and he was just bam, 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 this, that, this, that. I was like i I needed to have like a notebook or something because he gives he's just he's like a white walking naturalist encyclopedia, just throwing out info left and right, not showing off. just you know he's he's genuinely excited about it. he's sharing his
1: knowledge. It's obvious he loves what he does um, and, and he's just obsessed with the whole Bigfoot thing. and that that that's earned him a place, you know, one of the best researchers by far on the East Coast really appreciated uh, his knowledge and friendship, yeah, for sure.
2: He doesn't jump to any wild conclusions. He's always like, "I don't know." Not always, but a, a lot of the time, you know, it's
1: he just sticks with what he can prove. Yeah, he's very cautious in what he says, and I appreciate that about him.
2: Well, right on, man. Well, you have a good night, Cliff.
1: All right, Bubs, man. Thanks for lighting up Russ. He's a great witness, and uh, I can't wait to see who we get next.
2: Right on, all right, folks. Thanks for listening. Hit like, share, let your friends know about it. And until next time, keep it squashy.